Welcome once again to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. We do appreciate you tuning in again this week. I'm Pastor Travis Alltop, and this is a ministry of Bluegrass Pike Baptist Church from here in Danville, Kentucky. Thank you for tuning in. This week, we're going to pick it up in John chapter 19 again. Uh, we have been looking at the seven sayings from the cross. Uh, Jesus Christ spoke seven times from his cross of shame where he made himself obedient to death, even the death of the cross. The Bible says he despised the shame, but yet for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And so we find him enduring the cross and suffering our uh, hell on that cross and suffering for our sins and being wounded for our transgressions. And last week we took time to consider again his uh, awful cry uh, about the ninth hour of the day around 3 o'clock when the darkness had been upon him for three hours and he was dying silently, suffering, alone. He cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And we talked about his substitution there and how that at that point he had uh, drained the cup of God's wrath as our representative and had gone down under the wrath and the curse of God for lawbreakers like me and you. And he had suffered for us the just for the unjust and had been made sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Who can explain it? Who can plumb the depths of the riches of God's grace and the good gospel message that we've been entrusted with? I know not I, and I'm sure you can't, but boy, we sure can praise God with the little bit of understanding he has given us. And we thank God for that cry from the cross, for it tells us that someone has paid and suffered in our place. Last week, we also looked at his fifth cry, which is found in John 19, 28. Let's go ahead and read it again. It says, after this, I'm in John, the 19th chapter, beginning in verse 28. The Bible says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. And we talked about his sufferings and how uh, thirst burning up wounded from thirst. That is something that happens to men. We described, talked about some men on the battlefield that had been wounded during the Battle of Fredericksburg, how old Richard Kirkman took them water. Now, I told you that illustration for this reason, simply to let you know that our Savior, while he was God manifest in the flesh, was fully man as well. He humbled himself and he came down to this world. Listen, that Bible says in the beginning was the Word, capital W, that's Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Listen, the Word was made flesh. This is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in the flesh. Philip said, show us the Father. And Jesus Christ looked right in his eyeballs and said, Philip, he that has seen me hath seen the Father. Jesus Christ is God in a human body. And what the cults have trouble understanding and never will understand because they've been deceived by the devil uh, is the fact that the God-man, Jesus Christ, was fully God. But when you read something that uh, makes you scratch your head and say, well, God wouldn't say this. For instance, when Christ is dying and he says, I thirst, someone would say, well, has God ever been thirsty? Well, the answer is yes. When he limited himself as a man and wrapped himself in human flesh, and prepared a body for himself in the womb of the virgin and took his abode up in that body and walked among men for 33 and a half years. Yes, God could be thirsty if he limited himself and made himself to become man. That Bible says, uh, if there's one thing that's clear, it's this, that God 
came down as a man. He was made of a woman, and then he was made to be sin so that we might be made over in his uh, image and become righteous and glorified one day. Amen. It's called the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. And when he cried out in John nineteen twenty eight, I thirst, <clears throat> that is just a picture of his humanity. He suffered. He suffered for you and me. And listen, he is the answer to Job's prayer in Job 9. Job was needing a man that can put his hand on God and put his hand on us. And friend, that's exactly what Jesus Christ is. And so when I read the words, I thirst, it lets me know that my Savior suffered in my place as my representative. And listen, he knows what it is to suffer. He, my faithful high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, he can be touched with the feelings of my infirmities. You say, how? Because though we were rich, yet he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. He came down here for one reason, not because he was forced to, not because he had to, but because he desired to. Why? Because God loves sinners. And he doesn't love them apart from his son, but it was love that animated God to do what he did for us. He did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. Blessed be his wonderful name. Listen, if you're going to praise God, you've got to praise him for what he did for you on Calvary's cross. Do you know anything about that cross? Do where you, when you, where you go to church, do they make a big deal over what Christ did on the cross for you? I'm going to tell you something we've, we've been missing in the last 50 to 70 years. This country's been missing true gospel preaching. You've been hearing about the love of God, but unfortunately they've perverted and twisted what the love of God is. Men want to talk like that. Well, God is not judgmental and God will accept you just how you are. I walked past a church in downtown Danville here and they had a sticker on the door that says, God loves everyone, no exception. My friend, listen to me. God showed his love for mankind when he sent his only begotten son to die a cruel, bloody, agonizing death on the cross. And anybody that takes the love of God and removes it, are you listening to me? Anybody that removes the love of God from Calvary's cross from that bloody tree that our Savior hung on, anybody that tries to present a God of love apart from Calvary's cross is deceived and is deceiving you. Because I'm going to tell you something, you cannot separate the love of God from what he did for humanity, what he did for lost sinners on Calvary's cross. That Bible says God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You can't understand the love of God until you see yourself as God sees you as an unholy, defiled, lost sinner, guilty, guilty before the law of God. Have you ever seen yourself that way? You say, I don't really see myself as that bad. Well, the reason is not only has the love of God been perverted, but there's also been something missing from the preaching in this country for the last 50 years, especially, and that is the preaching of the law of God. We need to go back to Mount Sinai and take a look at those two tables of stone that God gave to Moses. And we we need to begin to look at what God's standards are. The reason some of you think you're okay is because you still believe what your mama said about you and you look yourself in the mirror every day and put your best foot forward and believe the lies that you tell yourself. Hey, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The truth of the matter is the natural man hardly ever wants to own his own guilt. Uh, He will justify himself to the death. And what I'm saying is this, 
you don't need to judge yourself by your standard. Uh, a lot of times people will tell me, well, I don't come down to church, preacher, because after all, uh, your church is full of hypocrites. My answer to that is, well, come on down because we got room for one more. The reason sinners who are lost and under the wrath of God and condemned and hurtling on their way to a devil's hell, the reason they want to bring up the sins of somebody else that they know is because that makes them feel better about themselves and will help them along in their deception. The truth of the matter is you need to quit judging yourself based on your own standard and you need to go to God's standard. But what's God's standard? Well, how would anybody know? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, the Bible says. Now you say, what, what this, what's this knowledge that we're missing? Well, nobody's preaching on the law anymore. And the law humbles a man and puts him down in the dust where he belongs. That law says, thou shall have no other gods before me. Hey, can you honestly say that you've always honored God for the God who he is? Hasn't there been times that you've honored yourself as God? That's your problem, isn't it? You do your own thing. Amen. You haven't honored God. Thou shall have no other gods before me is one of the commandments. And that's the first one. And listen, the truth of the matter is most people's God, little G, is their belly. You've honored yourself. You've worshipped yourself. That's the problem because you've sat around watching TV and all that Hollywood crowd who celebrates themselves. That's what the word celebrity means. It means a celebrated person. Amen. Uh, talk about the stars in Hollywood. There are no stars out there. There's defiled sinners running around. Amen. Glorying in their shame. That's what they're doing. And people around the rest of the country are following in their steps. And so your God is your belly more than likely. The second commandment says this. I'm talking about the law. See, we're looking at the standard of God. The first commandment in the uh, the table of stone is thou shall have no other gods before me. The second one says thou shall not make unto thee any graven image. Now the American will say quickly, well, I'm, I'm not like that. I don't have statues. I don't worship statues. Well, you know what? You may not have made a statue to bow down to, although there are uh, ignorant sinners in this country that do that, but you probably have made a God to your own liking. How many times have I talked to some self-righteous sinner and you begin to talk to them about a bloody cross and an empty tomb and they say, well, to me, God is this. And well, I don't, the God that I serve doesn't send people to hell. The God I serve doesn't judge sodomites and perversion. The God I serve, yeah, because the God you're serving is a God that you have invented. You see, you don't have to fashion him with uh, concrete and and mold him into a statue. Most people do that in their own imagination. You project forth a God that doesn't exist. Listen to me, my friend, those of you that are saved, that are listening to to the broadcast, when you have a coworker or a relative that starts talking about, well, to me, God is, you have a lawbreaker on your hands because it doesn't matter who God is to you. It matters who he is according to the word of God. You see, I'm not preaching a, a God this morning that I've made up. I'm preaching a God that's been revealed in the word of God. And so you've probably broken the second commandment too by making a God in your own image, one that uh, likes your sins and hates somebody else's. Amen. That's what people do. They make up God. So you've broken the second commandment. The third commandment says, thou shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Have you ever been angry and used God's name as a curse word? Come on now. What a holy name uh, is the name of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, I've read where the uh, Old Testament scribes would wash their pen before they'd write the name of God and how flippantly Americans walk around 
and, and damn things in the name of God. That's blasphemy. So you've broken the third commandment. Hey, the fourth commandment says, keep the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember it to keep it holy. And we understand the Jewish nature of keeping the sixth day of the week. But I'm telling you, there's still a great truth there. God expects you to rest one day of the week, lay aside your cares and burdens, and focus completely on him. You've broken that one. The fifth commandment says, honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the earth. Paul said that commandment, he repeated it to Christian people in Ephesians chapter 6. Some of you uh, uh, out there, you hyper-grace guys, uh, you need to deal with that. Uh, the Old Testament law isn't going to curse me now, but the Old Testament law is for my learning and for my comfort. Amen. And my apostle, the apostle Paul, wasn't afraid to use the law. And he says in Ephesians chapter 6, he repeats that fifth commandment and says it's the first commandment with promise. Hey, right there shows me how... Uh, m many people, if not everybody I'm speaking to, has broken the fifth commandment. You say, what is that? Oh, they disrespect their parents. They dishonor their parents. The Bible says there's going to come a time when the base, the babes in this world, that's talking about children, shall behave themselves proudly against the ancient. If you don't believe this commandment's broke, amen, every day broken, just go down to Walmart and stand around the checkout line and let a four or five-year-old or a six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, ten-year-old come through the line with mom and dad, grandma and grandpa. And listen, if that nine-year-old wants a Snickers bar and starts crying and kicking around for it, they're going to get it. Why? Because they don't listen. They don't obey. They don't respect their parents. They don't respect their grandparents. They don't honor them. Amen. You've broken the fifth, fifth commandment of the law. The sixth commandment says, thou shall not kill. Somebody will say, well, I ain't ever killed nobody. I've heard that one many, many times. But the truth of the matter is, you can be guilty of murder by simply hating your brother in your heart. You'll find that in 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. Hey, that hatred right there. Have you ever been guilty of that? Have you ever taken your brother's life, if you will, by the attitude of your heart? Uh, God sees it as murder when you hate your brother. Amen. Amen. Listen to me. This is called the law. This hasn't been preached. You see, most people, when you show them for all of sin and come short of the glory of God, the first thing that a sinner will do is nod his head. He's not convicted by that verse. He just looks at you and says, well, of course, there ain't no, none of us perfect. Now, I'm not talking about not being perfect. I'm talking about you're a lawbreaker. You're condemned. Amen. And you're going to hell because you've sinned against a holy God who told you thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do that. You've ignored the law of God. You've broken the law of God repeatedly. We could go on. The seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus said, if you look with lust upon a woman, you've committed adultery already with her in your heart. See, God sees the heart. God shall judge the secrets of men. God looketh upon the heart. It says, thou shalt not steal. You've broken that commandment. You're a thief. It doesn't matter the value of what you stole. The fact that you took something that wasn't yours makes you a breaker of this commandment. The ninth commandment says, thou shalt not bear false witness. Have you ever lied or deceived your fellow man? Amen. I've never met a man yet, amen, who would not admit to lying at some point in his life. And if you tell me you haven't lied, then I know you've just told at least your second one because the Bible says, let God be true, but every man a liar. The 10th commandment is thou shall not covet. That's desiring other things that people have and you're jealous and irritated because someone has something that you think you deserve. That's covetousness. That's lust. Paul said, I had not known lust except the law had said thou shall not covet. Now I've gone through those 10 uh, quickly. I've gone through those 10 commandments, but you know what it has shown you? If you've been paying 
attention, you found out, amen, that you've broken the law in more ways than you ever thought imaginable. And if you were judged based on God's standard of righteousness from the law, you would hear him say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You're guilty, guilty, guilty. All 10 commandments will roll forward in the day of the great white throne judgment and condemn you to a devil's hell. And you'll amen your own damnation. You say, how could that be possible? Because for that First time in your life, you will see that you broke a holy God's holy law. And listen, there's nothing holy about you in your natural state. That's why you needed a Savior. And I'm going to tell you something. The cross answers all of these things. That Bible says if we keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, we're guilty of all. Have you ever seen yourself guilty? Because when you see yourself guilty, this is what will lead you to Calvary's cross. That's why the Bible says the law was a schoolmaster. It's our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. You see, if you understand what I'm saying, that law preaching makes you feel and to know your sin and it convicts you and says you're guilty and it shows you how sinful you actually are. That's why a man needs a savior. That's why you need a savior. Amen. And this is what we've been studying about. This great savior died for us and he died as our representative. He suffered the just for the unjust and he's crying out, I thirst. And that's what we looked at last week because, listen, we're lawbreakers. The sin, the Bible says, is the transgression of the law. It'll stop your excuses. It'll stop your mouth. Amen. You'll become guilty before God. And when you really begin to feel the pressure of the weight of your sin bearing down upon you and you recognize I'm condemned, I'm guilty. And if I get what I deserve, I'm a hell deserving sinner. Then I'll go there. I'll burn forever and I'll perish. Amen. In the lake of fire. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever felt that? Well, if you have, my friend, that's called Holy Ghost conviction. You know what you'll start doing? You'll start looking around saying, what can I do? Well, my friend, you can't do anything. It's already been all accomplished. It's all done. But you say, who did it? Oh, I can give you the answer. Don't you know why it's the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God who died for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day from the grave that he might, uh, was delivered for our offenses and just, and raised again for our justification. He might make amen, a safe haven for you. If you would just come to him, because you'll notice here, look back in John chapter 19, all of this truth brings us to this great truth. We're going to see his sixth cry from the cross here. We saw him say, I thirst, reminding us of his humanity, how he suffered for us and how he can sympathize with us and how he was one of us. Amen. He's suffering and dying. And the Bible says, verse 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, because when he cried out, I thirst, they reached him some a sponge full of vinegar and he received that vinegar. But look what he says next. I'm in the 19th chapter of the gospel of John, the 30th verse, John 1930. After Jesus had received the vinegar, he said, look at these three words. This is important. It is finished. And have you ever stopped Christian friend that's listening today and just soaked and meditated in those beautiful words? It is finished. Because I just took you the last 10 or 15 minutes, I've taken you a trip through the law that if you've ever looked at the mirror of the law and saw your own reflection, you saw how ugly and defiled you actually were. You're a lawbreaker. And you know something? There is no way your good works could ever make up for a broken law. All the law can do is condemn a man and declare him guilty. But wait, what is it do I see? 
Oh, yes, I see a Savior yonder on the tree, bleeding and dying for you and me. Listen, Jesus Christ died and suffered on Calvary's cross. Why? That he might fulfill the law of God and give God a a satisfactory and holy way to redeem us. And when Jesus cried, it is finished, brother, I can tell you that it is finished. The first words that were recorded in the Bible of our, that fell from the Son of God's lips were found over there in Luke chapter 2, verses 49 through 50. What did he say? He said, Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? Well, my friend, his business was to come and to die for sinners like me and you. And friend, he suffered and died. He drained the cup of wrath and he died alone there on the cross. And right before he dies, what does he cry out? He cries out, John nineteen thirty. it is finished. God was satisfied. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 11 says that the father would look down and when he saw the travail of his soul, it says he shall see the travail of his soul, listen, and shall be satisfied. God's wrath has been drained. God's wrath has been spent. God's justice has been upheld. The law of God has been honored. The wages of sin is death. And here by the grace of God, Jesus Christ has tasted death for us. And he cries out before he dies just what he came to do. He came to be about the Father's business. He came to do that which pleased the Father. It says over there, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And as he's about to die here, right before he dies, Christ says, it is finished. You say, what does all of that mean? Well, I can tell you that the punishment has been taken in full. And I can tell you that the payment has been made in full. In other words, God requires blood for sin. Without shedding of blood is no remission. Here, the divine blood of the Son of God, the virgin-born Son of God, dies and sheds His blood on Calvary's tree. And right before He dies, He said, It is finished. Redemption's work is complete. The ransom has been paid. Listen, salvation, as we have stressed over the last few weeks, is not in your works. It's not in my works. It's not in a a promise to do better. It's in no one's religion. No, salvation is a finished deal. It's not even a... I heard one old preacher say this, and I agree with him as I've thought upon it. Oh, evangelist Billy Mitchell used to say, salvation is not a plan. Salvation is a proclamation. That proclamation is simply all that needs to be done has been done in the body and person of Jesus Christ. Look at it with me. What does he say? It is finished. Now turn in your Bible over to Hebrews chapter 10 and let's understand some things about what was finished. Redemption's payment has been made. Atonement has been completed. Listen, in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 3, it says this, in those sacrifices, now remember, we're in the book of Hebrews. I don't have time to get into everything, but you need to understand that the writer uh, was d- desiring to get Hebrews, the Jewish people of that day, to understand that what Christ did on Calvary was a fulfillment of all that was typified by the sacrifices in the Old Testament. And he's reminding them how much better the Lord Jesus Christ is than the Old Testament law was. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3 
That Bible says in those sacrifices, speaking of the Old Testament sacrifices, it says there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Those of you who study your Bible, those of you who are familiar with what it says in the Old Testament, know that once a year God instructed those Jews and all that were Jewish proselytes to bring the appropriate sacrifice. They would bring a living animal. That animal would be killed and would shed its blood because the wages of sin is death and the life of the flesh is in the blood. So in verse 4, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 it says that they had to come every year why why do they have to keep coming because in verse 4 it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins y'all see that you see those animal sacrifices could never clear the guilty when John the Baptist looked up from the river Jordan and he saw Jesus Christ coming to receive baptism in his hands, amen, that he might be made manifest to the nation of Israel. As Jesus Christ was approaching down into, coming down into the water, John the Baptist looked in front of the crowds and he pointed him out and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. While Jesus Christ died and shed his blood as the Lamb of God on the cross, and he cried out before he died, It is finished. The atonement is done. Salvation is available because everything that God requires has been upheld in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, his substitutionary death. Now, you're in Hebrews 10. We just learned, amen, that in the Old Testament sacrifices, they cannot take away sin. Now, look down in verse 8. It says above when he said, I'm in Hebrews 10, 8, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither, neither hadst thou pleasure therein which are offered by the law. God wasn't pleased and took, took pleasure in those things. That's what he required. That's what he revealed to him to do by faith at that time. But those didn't take away sins and he had no pleasure in all of that. It says, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. Speaking of Jesus Christ. He did the will of the Father, not my will, but thine be done. And it says, He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily. That's not referring to a Roman Catholic priesthood. That's referring to the old Jewish priesthood in the old economy, the old covenant, the Old Testament. It says, every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, speaking of Jesus Christ, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, comma, sat down on the right hand of God. Now you'll notice in verse 11, the priest continually offered sacrifices that could never take away sin. Therefore, they stood daily. They could never sit down. Do you know why they couldn't sit down, friend? Because the work wasn't finished. It was never finished in the Old Testament. Why? Because every year, the Jewish people, every time they had to come back and they had to offer sacrifices and that priest stood daily, offered those sacrifices. It could never make the comers thereunto perfect. It could never take away their sins. And listen, therefore, the priest had to continually work. He couldn't sit down. That is why there is no chair in the Old Testament temple. In Solomon's temple, there are no chairs to sit down in. Why? Because the work was never done. The work of redemption was never complete. The guilt was never taken away. The sins were forgiven, if you will, on credit until the Son of God, the Lamb of God, came 
uh, down and God himself wrapped himself up in human flesh and lived a perfect sinless life. Amen. And then died and suffered for us and shed his blood on Calvary's tree. And he cried out before it was, uh, before he died. It is finished. Now the atonement is made once, finally, and forever. He offered himself one time, one sacrifice for sins forever. And the work is done. It's available. Listen, three days later, he rose from the dead. That's the good news. He rose from the dead. Why? Because God said the payment's been made in full. This was a sinless man that took upon himself the sins of the world. This man, I'm going to raise him from the dead. The resurrection from the dead shows God's approval and satisfaction with the payment that Christ made. Paul said in Romans chapter four, he was delivered for our offenses and he was raised again for our justification. Listen, after he rose from the dead, according to Acts chapter one, Jesus Christ ascended back to heaven from where he came down from and he sat down at the right hand of the father. All through our Bible, we read about him in the New Testament having sat down. Why did he sit down? Because the work is all finished. The atonement has been made. The payment for sins, our sins, past, present, and possible, amen, have all been paid for by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, that book, Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, has a great truth in it. It says, He, Jesus Christ, hath made peace through the blood of his cross. My friend, the atonement was made once, finally, and forever. Full salvation is available, and that's what is meant when Christ cries out in John 19.30, the sixth thing that he cries out. He cries out in victory. It is finished. Redemption's work is done. Now, sinner friend, those of you that may have stumbled upon this radio broadcast, listen to me. What are you waiting for? Christ invites you to come. Why don't you come? While the door of invitation is still open today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Amen. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. How can a man simply be saved by believing on another man? Because that man was the God man who finished the work and his final words were, it is finished. All you must do is cast yourself upon that finished work and be saved. May God help you to see it, and may God help you today to cast yourself upon Jesus Christ.